Welcome to the Brown Posey Press Show, part of the BookSpeak Network, a program dedicated to independent and self-published authors. This show will examine new and unique works of literature, learn about their creators, and discuss the industry. And now your host, Tori Gates. Welcome to the Brown Posey Press Show. A gamer in Estonia, a young man on a quest to make it to America, three Japanese sisters, people of different backgrounds and walks of life, all drawn into a changing world, and they find their fortunes and their own views will do the same. In the midst of it all, a hijacked cruise ship. All of this in reggaeton cruise by author and essayist Patricio Maya, who joins us today. Patricio, welcome. Thank you, Tori. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm very glad to be here. Well, this story was really something that just caught my eye and caught my mind right from the beginning. You introduce such interesting and unlikely characters and I mean, you kick it off extraordinarily well with uh, this fellow. I hope I get this kid's name right, Arsham. Yeah. He's uh, yeah, yeah, Arsham Parn, right? The 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 Estonian. Yes, he's this kid in Tallinn, Estonia. Tell us why did we begin with him, and where does he come from? So um, we start with him because I I needed a young character who had access to gaming equipment but who nonetheless was not from the, I guess, uh, epicenter of globalization, you know, uh, or connectivity. Uh, but he needed to be in a place that nonetheless had a lot of access. So I did a little research and, you know, had a, a, a few countries. And finally, I chose uh, Estonia uh, for various reasons, uh, high GDP, high connectivity, but also kind of peripheral to, you know, uh, globalized culture and, and connectivity. Mm -hmm. And what does he represent as a leading character? What makes him such an attractive lead? <clears throat> he is young. He's essentially stepping into his teenage years. Mm -hmm. And he has, uh, he's very smart. And there's a kind of duality in his, in his uh, character in the sense that he has trouble adjusting to the world of uh, physicality. In other, in other words, you know, the kids he plays soccer or football with and uh, they pick on him and he doesn't have much of a, say, parental uh, uh, presence uh, in terms of like a male presence. His older brother is not, uh, has migrated. His father is not around. And so he's got that kind of disconnection from the real world or from the physical world. Um He's a few pounds overweight and uh, and so on. Anyway, well, he's got another uh, part of his character or his persona that is very much like a leader. Um, he's a gaming expert. Uh, he's a, He plays war video games and he's on the kind of cusp of breaking into uh, professionalism, meaning he's about to get paid for gaming. So that's that's kind of what attracted me about him, that kind of duality. He's, he's disconnected from the physical world. And in, a, in another way, he's completely um, linked to the world of uh, gaming and globalization and connectivity. You know, he's got a separate life. And that interests me for some reason. Yeah, and it's very interesting with him because he's sort of got that, as you say, it's sort of a duality because uh, I can look back at my teenage years and I can remember pre-internet a certain disconnect in my own life, but I would have sort of like a language 
of video games and that sort of thing. Right. And when I knew other people that played those games and that sort of thing, it was like at least I had something I could talk to other people about on occasion. And in those days, of course, we went to video game parlors and hung out. Not yeah, quite sure. not quite the kind of situation that uh, Arsham is in, but it's it's um, it's familiar to me, although he's now into 21st century with that. Um, right. What is this? We're, we're all stepping into that kind of lifestyle more and more. I think also with the pandemic and all that we were thrust in in that sort of situation, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, I think also too, there's certainly a connection still to his brother. Uh, Carol has moved sure. on and right. it's almost like, it's like, I want to get out of here. And it's like, he's sort of trapped in a, he's, he's trapped in both worlds. And it's like, he seems like I really want to get out of here. And it's, yeah, that's a, that's a good reading of it. Absolutely. And his brother is like, Hey, I'm look what I'm doing. And I remember my older siblings who were much older than me all took off and it's like, Oh, I wish I could do this. You know? <laughs> yeah. Who, the, the people who get to leave and, you know, experience different things and they look even more exciting from afar for, for those who stay um and he's he's got all the the abilities you know but at the end of the day he's still a kid mm -hmm. so he's got to live sort of vicariously through his brother and through the video games mm -hmm. now what is this game that that he plays he's so good at i'm not much of a gamer and i'm wondering how much of this is a real game or how much of this is something you've come up with you know it's it's completely made up um but you know i've played a lot of video games uh myself growing up mo mostly you know, the, I'm, I'm, I come from the Nintendo era, so okay. uh, from the Nintendo era. But I, I've seen um, y uh, kids playing um, video games in PC rooms here in, in Los Angeles. I've, I've been to. Uh, long story short, a few years ago, well, several years ago, I I was without a computer uh, because somebody broke into my apartment and, and stole my my computer, and so I was working on a on an essay. And, you know, I wanted to keep working on it. So I went to a PC room mm -hmm. um, and then I was literally writing my my paper, my, my essay. Uh, and I was surrounded by a lot of Asian game players. And that world was just fascinating to me because it was like a real community uh, of, of game players. But they were also connected and playing with people, you know, across the world in different countries, communicating. And I was there uh, writing uh, a political essay, you know, and, and, but, but I had to, I had this kind of window into this, uh, world and I really thought it was uh, extremely interesting. Well, in Reggaeton Cruise, you, you bring the, the concepts of globalization, but also the gaming and a lot of modern technology and it's, it's become so much more realistic. I'm from the Atari era, so I can. Well, that's right prior to mine. I had older cousins who had the Atari and I definitely have played the Atari, which is amazing too. <laughs> it was at the time and it, it was, it was something I immersed myself in. And uh, so I can kind of look back at that, but I think about how primitive that was compared to this now. And as I say, um, the realism of the gaming technology, that was part of what you wanted to bring us in this book, right? I, absolutely. And the, the, for lack of a better world, the word, and perhaps for lack of a better world too, uh, you know, the uh, Umberto Eco talks about hyper reality, which is this, this sort of 
thing that we live in now. I think when we were kids and playing video games, you know, coming up, we would sort of, um, you know, leave the, the real world behind and step into, uh, you know, Mario Brothers for me or, or you know, whatever it was, yeah. uh, Street Fighter. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, you know, we would go back into the real world. But for nowadays, I think in general, the the video game like reality which is not only video games but i think it encompasses everything online dating which is a sort of video game you know in a weird way mm-hmm. uh drones you know the war drones which come up later in the book uh all these other things you know uh, you look at uh, mark zuckerberg with his uh meta world or whatever he calls it you know this idea of like well like um e-money you know um uh, different different denominations, different coins, but you know this idea that you, even money has become uh, digital, and 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 so I feel like the the video game world has stepped into our world, so like the distinction is not as clear anymore. Mm-hmm. There was a little joke that said that people don't get married now, like the real official marriage certificate is not the one issued by the by the state. Um, but it's the one issued by Instagram. So once you get married, you post your pictures on Instagram, then it's Instagram official. Otherwise, it's <laughs> it's just uh, a government thing. I see. Well, what's interesting, too, is you bring us another character. You bring us Delphine and his flight from Central America. His his life is even more dangerous. Uh, and and uh, how does this man, how does this young man fit in? Well, uh, he's in South America. He's in the Andes region, and he um, he's disconnected because you know we're all globalized, we're all connected in a way, but not at the same level. Okay, so some some of us might have access to computers and might have a passport where we can travel to different places, might have the means to travel, uh, might have an Apple Watch, and so on, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, people from outside of the uh, of the kind of centers of connectivity, the big cities in particular, people who are in the countryside, in particular in the developing world, sometimes are caught in this reality where they might have access to like Hollywood movies, but you know their internet internet access might not be fast, and and they have some very real problems of the first order, meaning uh, how do I stay alive if there's a tragedy. Mm-hmm. in my household, you know, because, uh, well, there's no insurance, life insurance, or or we don't have the means to, to have it, and, and so on. And so Delphine, it's kind of like the opposite of uh, Arjum in that sense. You know, he is a boy who has not finished school because uh, uh, that's that's the way things go wherever in the part of the world where he's, where he's from. His dad dies, and then that, that thrusts him into adulthood. You know, and then he decides, you know what, I'm just going to migrate. And that story is a little bit longer in terms of the introduction, but yeah. it's there's plenty of, of adventure and there's the scary characters that he comes across. And there's that feeling of, you know, it's like, who can I trust? And we don't trust you very much either. And it's it was very compelling. And it's like, does he have... Does Delphine have any idea of what he's going to do when he gets to the States? It's like, what is he thinking? I think, you know, that's a really interesting uh, way of putting it because I've been thinking about these. And, you know, so when you're like, what, 15, 16, you don't have a clear view of the world, particularly if you've been embedded in in your own sort of town or you haven't gotten, you know, he's never even seen seen the beach. You know, he's never been to to the coast. So he's, he's... 
really, uh, he's very naive in, in one regard. Um, he's got a sense of like, I need to migrate. I need to go to a place where I can make more money. Um, but he doesn't know. So he tells his teacher, you know, I'm going to go to uh, Peru. I'm going to go to Argentina. I'm going to go to Colombia. And the teacher's like, no, same thing. It's, it's, just, it's just, you know, not going to work out for you. The teacher has a more kind of zoomed out vision where he's got more a greater vision of, of, the, of, the, of the economics of the region. But, you know, to Delphine, he's just like, I need to go to a place. And then suddenly he's like, oh, I'm going to go to the United States. But it's more like it's kind of like a, a, a dream like situation. You know, it's I don't think it's like a very thought out like plan. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like you infuse all of these characters and introduce them at the beginning of it. We leave Arsham and Delphine and then you jump into the future. And here come the Furukawa sisters. And they appear to be like. They look like a trio of LA party girls and it's like, sure. who are they? I mean, I mean, when you, you, if I remember correctly, you moved to Los Angeles when you were fairly young. So you yeah. must've seen just about everything. So I've, I've seen a lot, um, you know, from, from the, from Ecuador where I was born and then California. And then I lived in different places here in the United States, New York. Uh, I think I've been lucky to see a, a lot of different, kinds of people in social classes and very it's taken me a long time to sort of like digest it uh, but i think this novel is a kind of attempt at unifying such uh widely diverging um let's say uh lifestyles that i that i've had access to uh you know throughout my life so like the purikawa sisters are very familiar to me you know i i, I know um uh, I, I've no, I've seen it. I've, you know, I've been to Florida and, and, you know, but they're like international students who are uh, sort of connected to, they they have credit cards and they, they can afford to, to be, to learn the world language, which is English. Uh, and, and they have passports so they can travel around and they have access to airplanes. You know, they're, they're part of that very uh, connected world. Uh, and so they're, uh, they want to party and they want to have fun and, and they have their own struggles, you know, which is that they're from uh, Japan and the, uh, there are, there are social differences in terms of interactions, you know, so they're dating people in the United States uh, and the manners are very different the yes. way one approaches dating. And so that's, that's their sort of quote unquote video game. That's their struggle. Well, a lot of my writings, a lot of my books are set in Japan. And part oh, of the great. reason for that, uh, I've, I've always been asked, why is that when you've never actually been there yet? Yeah. And for me, it was just of, firstly, it was, a, it was my interest in history. And the oh. fact that I was very fortunate to have uh, a close friend that I did theater with whose mother was Japanese. And I heard a lot of stories and she was able to sort of help me navigate and do some very sharp edits on my early writing about what I was doing wrong, what is, what is right. not. And for me also, it was just about, I want to do something different. I want to try and put myself in a place I've never been. And you are correct with the the social mores are so different over there. And exactly. yet, at the same time, um, many Japanese are becoming... They are very westernized because they have certainly picked up on Western ways. Uh, English right. is a compulsory subject in Japan. Uh, sure. You have to learn it. And it's also the ability to work between a traditional world and a much more modern world. 
is exactly. is something. And the sisters seem to have certainly landed into the Western side of things quite well. They can handle themselves. But at the same time, I get the feeling there's there's all each have an individual struggle with their identity of who am I really kind of thing. So one of the that's uh, that's a really sharp way of putting it, because, you know, one of the main themes of the novel, and, you know, one th- I think one thinks about themes like later, like at first, it's just characters that you tell the story, you know, um, at least I do like haphazardly without not really knowing where you're going. And then, you know, it's like it coalesces into something. But you know, later I think I've, I've realized that you know one of the themes of the of the novel is like, uh, what are the pri- What is the price of becoming a cosmopolitan? You know, it's it's not free. So in other words, you know, if one is provincial or if one is you know doesn't get out of their one small city or town or remains somewhat uh, very very attached to 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 your to your roots. Mm-hmm. there's something kind of, well, let's say problematic in that because you are, or limiting in the sense that you don't travel, you don't have access to different languages, different food, all, all these things, right? Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I do think there's a price to pay. And the price to pay is that once you go global, uh, you sort of, you, you're global and that's it. And then you can't, you have to like sort of um, let go of certain aspects of your culture in order to fit into this more kind of, uh, cohesive global society you know it might be like uh, people who travel and have credit cards and play video games and have cell phones these mm. sort of thing and it's like a trade-off isn't it it's a trade-off exactly and you know it's not negative but all negative but it is it is a trade-off we're speaking with patricio maya the author of reggaeton cruise when we come back we're going to get into part two and find out what happened to archim and the rest of these folks stay with us If you are enjoying this podcast, check out our other programs on the BookSpeak Network, including the Brown Posey Press Show, Milford House Mysteries, and the Sunbury Press Book Show, and History Through Biography. Welcome back. My guest today is Patricio Maya, author of Reggaeton Cruise, and we're going to jump ahead into part two in a few years later, and... The boy from Estonia that we met at the beginning, Archam, is now a developer for the army. It's sort of like there's there's this gap of how did he make the jump from Estonia to the middle of the United States? He um, he was so talented and in need of a change that um, you know he decides to do his last year of high school in the United States, uh, and he applies to, uh, to a scholarship for teenage developers, and he's extremely talented with computers and video gaming. He's got uh, amazing high-hand uh, high, uh, coordination. And, you know, so he, he comes to the United States that way, and he gets a taste of freedom here, and he makes some friends and starts going to, to concerts. He, he loves metal. Uh, music and you know before you know it he, he gets recruited by the u.s army to be a sort of uh, advisor and eventually a drone operator so he's got a very his talents in the real game world take him far you know so like we were talking about how when we were kids we played atari or nintendo or other video games yeah um and, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, I can almost hear my mother's voice. It's like, you're wasting your time doing that, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so, 
in a way, she was right, but also, you know, for the more uh, modern, kind of more contemporary kids, a lot of those skills are actually skills that you can apply. Well, first of all, it's in a huge industry, right? Yes. And, but also, you apply it to things that, like drone flying, you know, that is that high, high and high eye hand coordination is something that you need. And, and he ends up connecting or, 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 crossing that bridge from being a video gamer to becoming uh, uh, a war drone operator, which is a real profession. Yeah. It, as far as I know, in my research, uh, a lot of it is like young people that actually operate drones from afar. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's how he, en- he ends up doing that. And uh, it's very, very uh, digital, you know. And the thing, too, is I remember several years ago, um, I heard what was purported to be part of a recording of one of these drone operators who was um, he was directing drones in Afghanistan. And you could hear discussion between different operators. And it sounded very clinical. It sounded very professional. And it's like we're doing the target insight. This is. A lot of technical jargon that I did not understand. Military people would understand it. Right. And someone commented on just how cold these people sounded. And that leads me to my question. Arshan doesn't strike me as somebody who's out to get famous or anything. Gaming is just what he's done. And right. does he have – do you think there's another motive for him? Or And also, where does his – is there a level of morality for him of am I doing, why am I doing this? Or does he think about that? Well, I mean, that's a really mm, interesting, deep question to ponder because he does develop a sense of morality, I think a little late mm-hmm. and, and, and he develops it wrong. So in in a way it's a, it's a crooked morality that he develops, but He's not necessarily like an evil guy, like he's not out to kill or to, but he's not a good guy either. It's just like his video game world um, is not connected, at least mentally or um, uh, ethically in his mind, to the to the real world. So, you know, that he so his sort of transition from, um, let's say, from the video game war video game that is not real to the war video game which is real which are drones which is not a game but it's you know it's a it's a military operation it's very seamless so it's very it's very um smooth so that he i think he doesn't even notice in some ways uh that that he's become this very sought after uh uh, war drone operator you know, and and that and that he develops like a very slow sense of like what he's doing, but he's more he's like he's a teenager. You know, he's more interested in going to uh, concerts, meeting people, yeah. um, smoking pot, all these things. And you know, slowly but surely, when he finds out, he's like way he's he's so deep into it that there's he doesn't know how to get out of it except through like very uh, ab- abrupt actions. And that's the thing that's kind of like when you're young, uh, we develop and and we just develop over time. And that's something that doesn't really ever change or end, you know, as as we get older. And I, I, it's funny because I was thinking about this while I was preparing the interview. I was thinking, 
30 years ago, I was a lot different. I was a lot more brash and I was a lot more outspoken. And I sometimes thought back to, hmm, there are certain things professionally I did, nothing illegal, nothing really wrong per se, but it's like, hmm. And it's like with the benefit of hindsight, it's like, should I I look back at that and I think, hmm, maybe I could have done that better. Maybe I could have been a little more calm about that. And Archam is getting that almost like that epiphany of, wait a minute, what am I doing? What is this? It's it's almost like too much responsibility for a guy that age, you know, and, and if you think about all these kind of tech guys, you know, I mean, just to, that's a kind of blanket statement, but you know, a lot of them had, you know, so much responsibility at an extremely young age. Like I think of Mark Zuckerberg on a different level, obviously, Yeah. but you know how powerful he was by age like 25 or prior, you know? So uh, it's just, I find it really interesting that, that, that very, very young people can have so much responsibility when, you know, there's a reason why like auto insurance, uh, you know, ch- charges much more to yeah. young men in particular, you know, because uh, young men are more prone to uh, have accidents than, you know, statistically speaking, than like, say, middle-aged men or middle-aged women or whatever, you know, so... Um, but also they have a set of skills that if put in the right circumstances could make them extremely powerful. Yeah. And it, and it's all comes with that experience. And also through my own experience, uh, it's sort of like your brain chemicals change. I know that I physically have wow. changed and that my mind has changed about some things. I'm still the same person, but there is that, and it's sort of like, here is an incredible situation for a young person. Now he's starting to get that realization, and that leads me into, uh, you know, we're going to be coming back to Delphine and some of these other folks, yeah. but the main news story that everybody starts seem to be talking about is there's this cruise ship that is hosting the reggaeton cruise, and right. this becomes the target of this sort of, this sort of, association of different groups now the first thing is you have to help me with what reggaeton is now i'm old enough to know reggae and i know some of its forms i know some of the styles but is this an extension of reggae or something other okay so do do you want the long the longish story or the shorter shorter uh story whatever you like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I'll give you the, the sort of mid-sized um, story. Okay. So uh, in Panama, when they were building the canal, uh, there they they brought in a lot of uh, Jamaican workers. Okay. And and the reason is because the builders of the Panama Canal were American, and so uh, and you know Panamanians speak Spanish, so they needed uh, sort of uh, English-speaking workers, and and there they'd been uh, uh, well Jamaicans had. Uh, a way in and so for some reason that i need to probably um look into more they came into into panama mm-hmm. uh, jamaicans and they brought in proto reggae okay you know because it's it's uh, the beginning of the 20th century if i'm not wrong right so they bring in uh, proto reggae and uh that kind of s- stays in panama and so like through time through the decades that develops into a sort of sound that is very raw uh, and and kind of similar to reggae, but with a lot of Latin twists. And there's a couple artists way way later, like in the 70s, 80s, 
that that come out, you know, from Panama, and they have a big influence in the Latin American sort of hip hop reggae world, and and Puerto Ricans pick it up, and they mix it with hip hop in in New York, and uh, you know, to make a long story short, uh, now reggaeton, which is has a lot of reggae roots, but you know, a lot of Latin rhythms, has become a world phenomenon in terms of uh, music sales, and so like the one of the main guys, for example. Uh, Maluma or J Balvin, these guys that are from Colombia and other countries like Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. uh, sell out whole stadiums in like Saudi Arabia or France. Wow! You know, so it, it's a very interesting pop phenomenon. Well, that's cool because it's like this. This music is now, you know, sort of like the centerpiece of this cruise, and the cruise gets hijacked by this group calling itself the Coalition of the Eager. And I'd said earlier that it seems to come off as like an association of groups, but who are they, and, and what exactly are they trying to do? So this is the stuff that has gotten me in most trouble with the readers, I would say. Okay. Um, and, and the reason, it's it's problematic and a little edgy. Um, but, you know, if we're not, if we don't try out this stuff in the world of fiction, you know, that's the right place to, to sort of think out these things. Um, it's a nightmare scenario, you know. So they're they're like a, sort of a national terrorist or local terrorist. I don't know how to get homegrown ter- terrorists. Um, and, you know, so it's a nightmare scenario that I, I thought about these during the, the, the worst of the pandemic, which is when I was writing these. So that, that might have influenced me. So the nightmare scenario is, uh, this, which is like, what would happen if like the most radical segments of the American political spectrum decided to collaborate just because they were so tired of the, of the, of the system, whatever that means, you know, so like, it's just like the, the absolutely most kind of uh, radical segments and they decide to like, you know, collaborate and for, they, they find more ground in common than not. And so I don't know how likely that is, but that is the, the thing that, that happens in novels. So like the coalition uh, of the eager is, is this coalition of very disparate, uh, different uh, social groups uh, of people who are very, uh, you know, unhappy with the way things are going with, in the world, particularly in the United States, and who decide to to uh, to kidnap or hijack the the reggaeton crews in order to make their 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 voices heard, and it's a temporary coalition. Uh, so you know, it would, that's that's it would be that would be the the kind of point of that. Mm-hmm. And you make points about the cruise industry, and they're sort of using it as it's almost like it's a target. Um, and is is it the industry itself, or is, as it, was it was it was it useful in that uh, the conditions for people who work on these ships and and that sort of thing? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't think I had the the the, the goal wasn't so much like um, like a good hearted goal to like. Uh, Mostly, I wanted to 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 describe. You know what I mean? More than to 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 think that that something to show something that is negative or or to um, you know. I mean, I do that with my with my vote, I guess. Mm-hmm. But you know, in terms of the the novel, I think I was more attracted in terms of like a like a connectivity issue. So like, so that comes up, right? Like, what are the most? Think of like a nervous system, right? So like uh, like our nails would would not have, don't have uh, nervous connections as far as I know. And then there are certain parts of the body, like the fingertips that have many more 
nervous connections and that we can feel much more right in terms of the skin so like that's a metaphor in a way when you think about connectivity like so certain parts of the world are very connected very developed very uh global right so like new york manhattan would be extremely global and then uh you know let's say the middle of the amazon jungle would be not connected right because uh you wouldn't find connectivity there as much mm-hmm. and so i thought like what's the most connected place in the world where where all these things sort of coalesce and 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 become like a a kind of floating disney thing and you know that the, the cruise industry came up and i do know that there's a lot of negative aspects to it uh but you know the thing the heart it's the heart of the novel because it's the it's the thing where the most developed thing of aspects of entertainment but also like uh, the most sort of most terrible aspects of uh, let's say mm, smog and, and and pollution and all of that they're put together into one thing so like it's beautiful in one way but in many other ways it's also like it's one step away from like a nightmare scenario yeah yeah and it on top of all of it delphine comes back and he's made it as an entertainer and it's sort of like the cruise ship is a symbol of a lot of this and he has become a symbol because here's here's this kid who made it big and now he is this person who travels in a, in circles that he's probably never even imagined right right and the, the, how dynamic you know, when people come to the United States, I think a lot of a lot of uh, people who migrate here. I mean, they could go to, you know, they could go to Switzerland, or I mean, if, if they had a chance, or, or to other places. But I think the United States attracts a lot of a lot of foreigners because of how dynamic its society still is. You know, like people just kind of there's this story. They you know they abound stories of like uh, people just becoming wealthy or famous or or you know, in Delphine's case, he has a, a a connection to viral fame, you know, which is not very you know. Justin Bieber was a a, a viral famous guy to begin with, and now he's a pop star. Yes. So it's not. It sounds really odd, but it's do it's possible. And there are so many people now. It's like like the YouTubers, as they call them, which is you know. But it's it's not just there. The people who've become stars on TikTok and that sort of thing, and. Yeah. You sort of get the feeling some people are looking at it as kind of like, yeah, well, uh, there's so many people that are looking for attention. And I don't think a lot of them start out trying to be famous. It's just something that they do. And I can't say I know any of these folks personally, but it's like there. I admit that there are certain ones I look in on every now and then because I actually like what they do. I like some of the animation they do or I like the cartoons that they do or I like some of the things. And it's it's I'm like. Well, hey, good for you. And at the yeah, same time, like magnetic personalities too, like really attractive in some in some ways. Yeah, at the same time, there's a disconnect there too, isn't it? Because it's like you are now known as this person who gets behind a camera and does stuff, and it's yeah. like, do we get to see the real you or do we not? And I think for a lot of folks, it must be really it's it's really hard. It and working in broadcasting, it's the same thing because. The first few years of my career, people knew me as a voice. They had no idea what I looked like, and I didn't want people to know what I looked like. And yet, at the same time, it was like, this persona is not me. It was kind of like, I've created a character 
on on radio and I think I've spent most of my career trying to merge the character with who I really am to the point where I can just sit and talk to you and be like, this is me. I'm not what I was trained to be way back when. This is what I am. And it must be very difficult for people. I mean, you wonder if Delphine has got some of that is like, is this all I am? Yeah, yeah I think so. Because... You know, there's an element of, well, a lot of viral videos, and in his particular case, become popular with, uh, with you know, tongue-in-cheek. Uh, some of them are, like, slightly ridiculous, or some videos are slightly ridiculous, or very ridiculous. And, yeah. and you know, half of the time people are making fun uh, of, the, of the people portrayed or, or portraying themselves in these videos. So there's a certain level of cringiness to it. But also there's a wide opportunity at, of, at fame, you know, and so he jumps into it and he, he posts a song online that is very daring because he, he and, and, you know, it comes from naivete. It's not like a calculated move. He said he, he sets out, he's doing like a, he's a janitor, he's a sort of janitor. Or kind of, uh, uh, well, he's working for, for a building and, uh, you know, one day he, he, well, he likes music and he decides to post something on, on YouTube. And it's a it's a daring kind of mixture of electronic beats, EDM, and you know reggaeton and you know Andean indigenous flutes. And he tells a story of migration and love that it seems seems impossibly, you know, impossible. And then people love it because of his dance moves, and they make fun of him. And so he earns a lot of money, and he starts traveling and becomes like a legitimate star. Star because of that but at the, but at the same time there's a there's a level of seriousness in him that cannot be expressed in his persona and you know that level of seriousness is the native american side of him that you know saw a lot of struggle and saw his father uh die of, of the andes virus uh very young and so you know at some level at some point he has to to make a decision am i gonna if i bring out that level of seriousness then I will be destroying my sort of persona. He has to make that decision, you know. So that's the that's the line that the character has to to deal with the conflict. And the thing that that I gathered as I was reading it, I don't want to give all this away, but you get a very strange feeling as this story progresses. Every single character's values and their own views of what this world are is it's changing. And it's sort of like some of them, it's almost like they're thinking something has to change. And some of them are saying to themselves, I have to change. Yeah. And it, was that yeah. something that you were, were looking for was to sort of like, was it about the concept of change maybe? Yeah, I, th- I, I think so. Um, and also, I, I, you know, so when do people change, right? That's a, that's a really, so right. we grow up. Right, we change our morals. I think I like. I really like the idea that you were putting forward, which is the idea of uh, evolving morals. So one is has you know a sense of self from age five, six, four prior, right? You know, and develops, and then the morals sort of uh, our ethics, our morals become more set, you know, and so on, work habits and whatnot. But really, changing is extremely difficult. Changing, like you can change your your mood changes, but how about your, your personality? Does that change? How does that change? You know, um, and that's why I'm very interested in that. And I think from 
I think trauma changes people. That's one of the ways, you know, or like a religious transformation or, or time or, or, you know, something like this really kind of deep situations. And, and that's where the, where the, uh, the trauma comes in, in the, in the kidnapping of the reggaeton crews. And I think that sends people in different directions. Like they were already ripe for change, mm-hmm. like, you know, because of their age and whatnot. I definitely but, you know, once the, once the trauma happens, it's like that's the perfect, perfect opportunity to make the change. And I think that's the change that we're going to be seeing as this goes along. We're listening yeah. to Patricio Maya, who is the author of Reggaeton Cruise. And when we come back, uh, we're going to find out more about his writings and about his life here on the Brown Posey Press Show. Stay with us. New this month from Sunbury Press, Brian Kano's Grains of Sand, Tales of a Paranormal Life, just released under the Roswell Press imprint. You've seen Brian on Paranormal, Caught on Camera, and The Curse of Oak Island. Now you can read his memoir of his many strange encounters with the paranormal. Welcome back. We're talking with Patricio Maya, author of Reggaeton Cruise on the Brown Posey Press Show. Um, Patricio, we talked a little bit about uh, your life in Los Angeles. Now, you grew up in Quito before coming to the U.S. at age 12. Tell us about your upbringing in Ecuador. Tell us about your family, your origins. Um, my family, uh, let's say, what can I tell you? Very modern parents uh, who had who both, both parents came from big families um you know of six seven siblings one and the other one like more than 10 mm-hmm. and then somehow but you know so the grand- grandparents my grandparents were very traditional in, in in many ways and 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 came up uh, in ecuador and, and did well economically but by the time my my parents were coming of age i think they they were they were already kind of modern they you know they listened to the beatles and stuff like that and and so they when they when i was born you know i was a i'm an only child so that's a huge change from my grandparents time uh and so you know they were experimenting a little bit with education so i went to several schools you know including waldorf uh military academy private academies and, and whatnot so you know some some of that gave me a lot of a lot of views into into different parts of the Ecuadorian society, let's say. Mm-hmm. And you, you say your family listened to the Beatles and that sort of thing. Uh, I've always felt that what what parents listened to, what they watched, but also what they read, always seems to have a huge influence on us. Uh, what did your folks read? What were they into? That's, that's it. My, my dad had a subscription to National Geographic. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I remember, I can remember sort of, a lot of National Geographic magazines just stacked up in some corner. Um, That's just like my then, house. So, yeah. Not so much in terms of novels, but excuse me. That's just like my house. My parents had stacks of them. Yeah. That's, you know, for a kid, that's amazing, you know, cause you don't know what's there, but you know, you see the whole world. Um, so that, and then on my mother's side, she was a, she's a journalist. She had a, a radio. She was like sort of like, National public radio kind of situation. So, wow. read a lot of like political books and write Latin American writers like Mario Vargas Llosa, people like that. It's not like I read them, but they were part of the part of the milieu, you know, in some bookstore, book, uh, book stack. Yes, and you've talked about how you, 
all of this has really helped shape you in such a unique way. Uh, When, though, did you feel writing was going to be part of your way for you? Was there ever anything that just said to you you were going to do it? Well, so I had a kind of pretty artistic personality, you know, so I drew a lot. Uh, But I think when we moved to the United States, the language was a kind of was a thing was a shock you know and but also an opportunity that i really wanted to uh learn english and i think i came early enough so that you know within two or three years i had really had a grasp of the language and then i i didn't really stop it just it just caught me um but in a way i'm i'm really you know like a, a guy who likes to draw and then it just became language so I see. And you mentioned also some pretty diverse authors, such as Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who I I love. I mean, was there a conscious effort to seek out different authors, or did, did some of this just come to you, do you think? Uh, I think, you know, part of it, so I once, when I was in high school, I started taking the li- literature classes, and for some reason it was like these kind of dual movement one of the one of the movements was to go forward and you know master english whatever that means so you know like shakespeare othello i took ap english in high school um and and uh joan didion and whatnot other other writers like edgar Allan poe you know that kind of stuff but also a kind of nostalgia for what i had left behind so i was reading garcia marcus neruda and but most importantly borges the the argentinian short story writer i think he's like absolutely central to my worldview okay what did he what what did he project to you was there was there any is there like any one thing in particular that just said like sort of made you think yeah look at that so he's got um a, a deep sense of irony um and also of of like if you look deep enough everything is sort of you know, like I think Blake said, this, if, we, if, the, if the doors of the universe opened, everything would look like as if it were. Okay. I'm, I know I'm not quoting it right, but you know something like that. Um, and I think Borges had a deep sense of of labyrinths and just sort of the infinity of of the universe. And I'm more on a social kind of level, but mm-hmm. I love looking looking at at the complexities of the world and seeing the kind of structures of it and. And trying to and and I love getting dizzy, you know, by like looking deep enough uh, that that you get a sense of he called it um, existential vertigo and stuff like that. So I love those those things. But at the same time, he was an an old he 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 lived a long life to eighty six, and he was rather, let's say, uh, non sort of. He was well poised and and he had a, a lot of control in his writing and his speech and his spoken language so let's say he was a visionary and very out there with his art but with his own behavior he was rather tame and i, I love that duality in him mm-hmm. and there's an interesting thing too one of your previous uh releases on grady miller books is walking around with fonte and bukowski and it's yeah. it's a series of of essays and stories and uh those are really intriguing to me in that i've read quite a bit of bukowski's work i can't say i'm an expert on it i can't say i know anything at all about it the closest thing i have to it is that i have 
part of my family lives in Los Angeles, and I have cousins who, one of whom told me they used to go drinking with Bukowski. My God. I can yeah, he's a local hero. I could just imagine what that was like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bukowski, you know, uh, yeah. The, he wrote the intro to the, to, the book, to the book As the Dust by John Fonte. Yes. And, and, I, and Bukowski used to spend hours and hours at the L.A. Public Library, almost like, you know, almost homeless, almost like a homeless man. And, and he, he said, if I can tell you this, this story really quickly. That, oh, please do. You know, at some point he got tired of literature. He's like, hey, I've been reading all these guys. And I'm just like, you know, they're, none of them are speaking to the level of my kind of discontent. And, you know, so he moved to, like, looking at books about, you know, the human body and then the universe and these and that, just kind of like the sciences. And then one time when he was just wandering back in the literature section, just kind of he's had his literature, uh, he's, and then he, like, picks up John Fonte, who, who you know, wrote As the Dust and other novels and also, like, a local uh, writer, and he just completely fell in love with him. Uh, and that experience is something. And then I read As the Dust and stuff. But, you know, that experience of living, reading literature and experiencing the city uh, as one and the same is something that I, I really got from Bukowski and from Fonte uh, and from other writers. You know, I, 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 I live in a world of, of I live in a world of books and a universe of books and music. You know, as I'm, I, I, that's just... That's been, it's been like that since, uh, since an early age. Well, that, that is kind of me to an extent, too, because I've had to work with music, uh, and I've played music, I've written it, I've done different things, but never to the level of, of a lot of these folks. And I felt like the Walking Around collection, there was a capturing of sort of the grittiness, sort of the, the really tough side of the world that people like. They seem to like to read about it, but they don't want to live there. And yet yeah. these fellows didn't. I just, I was struck by it. And it was like, sort of like, I guess the next question I have for you is the essay as a vehicle for these things. How different is it for you than to write the full blown work such as Reggaeton Cruise? Is there a different mindset for you? Yeah, you know, the essay has to have a point. Uh, I think that I think fiction it's its own point can be its own point. Okay. You don't need to, you know, you can leave you can point at questions, but it doesn't need to have a driving thesis, you know. And I, I think I'm more comfortable. I have a really hard time marrying um, stances, you know, in 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 fiction. I rather like just look at it from different angles and and that, you know. Now in my personal life, I'm I'm very I'm sad in terms of, of my worldview, but in ter- but I do like to get, I, you know, like I say in the essays, I really like to get lost. I, I, I love that that sense of, of being of, of going deep enough into somebody else's worldview, uh, characters, and then you're like, wow, do I really view the world that way? You know, yeah. you pull back and you're like, no, that's not. So like, I develop my own moral outlook by sketching out what I don't believe in. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's kind of like my, my MO. And I think fiction allows me to do that. And then uh, the essay is shorter and it allows for, for you know, a, a kind of relationship with reality, with narrative. And it, it, it really allows you to, 
to narrate reality and, and, and stylize it in, in a way. You know? mm. Well, I've often thought about this, and I sometimes ask others this is, we talk about the disconnect in reggaeton cruise, and we talk about the different, you know, the globalization of things and how we all can be, we can be lost and stuff. Is, do you think authors such as we can still make a difference that we can instill either getting people to think, which is what I hope people do when I read my work, yeah. or can we instill a new way of thought, do you think? Hmm. I, I like that, that second uh, description a lot, a new way of thought, you know, because I think Joan Didion said, what is a novel but a point of view? Right. You know, and I really I love that description of what a novel is because, you know, uh, I can read Dostoevsky and I don't remember what happens at the end. And in fact, you know, I, but I love, it's one of my favorite books. Or I, you know, all these other writers that I that I love, and I can tell you, or other another Russian, you know, Bulgakov, Master Margarita, um, and but I I do recognize their voice, their voices, deeply, you know. Whereas like like your, the loneliness of the of the of, of of life becomes more bearable with these voices that you have all these companions you know and i think in terms of plot or or all of that yeah you know it's great and entertaining and, and you know at the end of the day i think what the books are companions you know for 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 readers as as we as we are you know floating in the floating in the, floating in the middle of the universe or something like that and then you have all of these guy beautiful world like these you know it's that to me is is precious um uh, you know, and yeah, it's a way of thinking. It's a way of viewing the world, point of view. Hmm. Well, in the time we have left, what is next for you? What What are you working on now, and uh, what can we expect? Hopefully. Uh, so, uh, I started writing a novel, uh, and I, I dropped it. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. I, I think maybe I'll pick it up again. Um, I'm interested. I'm very interested in uh, detective fiction these days mm -hmm. uh, I'm reading a lot of Sherlock Holmes um, and stuff like that so I think I want to write about don't don't ask me how but somehow I'm gonna make, make it work about world soccer FIFA all the all this other stuff with the, with world soccer right. and detectives mm -hmm. somehow I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna make that work and you know talk to me in a couple years <laughs> we'll see <laughs> Well, all right. And where can we find your books? Uh, well, they're on Amazon. So you can just type uh, my name, Patricio X Maya. And, you know, the books will, will appear there. But they're also, I have, there's a website for reggaeton, uh, reggaetoncruise.net. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, at the editor's, um, at the publisher's website, which is greatonmillerbooks.com, I think that's that's the, the website. So. Uh, those are the ways. All right. Well, one last question for you. Yeah. What advice do you give an aspiring author or someone who's maybe got an idea? What could, what's the best thing you could tell them? Tell your story and don't think about how it works. If whether it works out, whether the structure is good or bad, just get it out. And then before you know it, you'll find your voice. And as you're doing that, you know, find a sort of physical activity that you can do so that you're not sitting there for a long time. 
uh, with back aches. You know, go swimming, go walking, go whatever you want. Find a physical activity. That's that's key for writers because we tend to be neurotic. But don't let anything hold you back. Just write it, and your voice, that angle that only you have, will eventually appear. Well, all right. Our guest today has been Patricio X. Maya, author of Reggaeton Cruise and other works on Grady Miller Books. Patricio, this has been a blast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Tori. It's been a great interview. You've been listening to the Brown Posey Press Show with your host, Tori Gates. Find his works, including Searching for Roy Buchanan, Call It Love, A Moment in the Sun, and Lie from the Cafe, along with more independent authors of fiction and nonfiction at sunburypress.com. Thank you for listening. This is the BookSpeak Network. Network.